on one Wednesday night, I shared, the Lord gave me a new revelation on this scripture. And he said, Jared, what's your household? And immediately I thought, me, Mandy, Matthias, and Josiah, and my grandkids that are going to come in the future. And he's like, how come your household's so small? And I was like, okay, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great, as many generations as I could come out with without stumbling over my words. That's now my household, God. So now when I say that scripture, I'm like, okay, God, you said you would save me and my household. This is my definition of household. You get to determine your definition of household. Do you know the scripture is filled with promises from God that he leaves as a blank check and you determine the value of that check? (laughs) Y'all going to track with me for a second? What did he say about his Holy Spirit? He gives us his spirit without measure. Which means he doesn't say, oh, they can only get so much. Who determines how much Holy Spirit we get? We determine the value of the check. Do you know, if you'll read all through Scripture, God leaves these open promises where he wants to hear how hungry you are for that promise to be fulfilled. And when he says, I'm not just going to save you, I'm going to save your entire household. If you go, that's fine with just me and my four to be saved, he'll do that. But he was willing to do so much more. And so when I say he wants to save your whole household, your neighbors, your friends, the people that, that you call aunt and uncle that aren't even related to you. Like we've got so many people, so many close friends that, uh, you know, my kids call uh, one, of, one of Robbie's uh, daughters, Cheryl, we call her Aunt Cheryl and Uncle Gary. They're not blood, re- blood related to us, but they're our aunts and uncles, right? I mean, you have people like that. They are now your household. And God says he's going to save you and your household. So this is an opportunity. Sunday morning is going to be evangelistic. It's going to be, um, let's just pursue God. People that have never seen God before. That Sunday night, we're going to just ask for impartation. We're going to pray for the prophetic to come. He's going to speak. And we're going to do something that we've never done here before ever. How many have ever heard of a fire tunnel? A fire tunnel, all right? You know what I'm talking about, right? We're going to line up Holy Spirit-filled people right here, and you're going to have a Holy Spirit car wash, and everyone's going to do the conga dance or whatever all the way up here through the, through the fire tunnel, and we're going to believe that as you go through that, God is going to overwhelm you with new spiritual gifts, with new impartation of, of, of Holy Spirit, with breakthrough. If you're having addictions as you go through that, God's going to break free. If there's sickness in your body, we believe God's going to heal you in that thing. So that Sunday night is going to be a real fun night. We've got some other churches that are going to come and join us. So it's going to be a packed house. Uh, we may just take the seats out and go old school, right? Do it like they do it in some of the other countries of the world. Just how many people can we fit in here, right? We want to do like they do in Korea. They just There's five seats, but there's 12 people sitting there, and they're just sitting as close as they can, right? That's what we're going to do. So that's that. I'm so excited about this. Um, he pastors in, in Houston, and he's going to come up here and just bless us and bless our church. And he prophesied that I would marry Mandy. He prophesied for our children before they were born. He, the, the guy's amazing, so I can't say enough about him. Um, I want to again say to all the people that volunteered and helped out yesterday, thank you. It was a fun day. It was so hot, right? I'm still hot from yesterday. I, I think I baked. And... Uh, it's, how many just slept so well last night after being out there all day yesterday? I, mean, I just sat down and I didn't even go to the bed. I sat on the couch and watched the Rangers make me a little bit angry. I couldn't get real max. I was too tired, but they made me a little angry last night. And I just fell asleep and I was like, I'm not moving to the bed. I'm not moving the kids. I'm just going to sleep here. And it was wonderful. I slept so hard. So thank you all for coming out. It was fun. Mark and Jonathan and 
and Belinda helped put all the bags together, and Vanessa, and Mandy, and I don't want to start naming people, but a lot of people put a lot of effort in it. We gave away about 30 backpacks to people, and the cool part about it was the, the people that was first come, first served. The, the first people that came got backpacks full of school supplies, and, and um, a, I think there's a, a, the stories of Jesus in there, and some toys. And um, I think the, the first, most of the people that first came were from the community. They weren't from our church. So we wanted it to be an outreach. We got to give a lot of stuff to outreach. We would have given them all to people in the church, but y'all slept too late. So, <laughs> so we were so happy that we got to meet families in the, in the neighborhood and got to spend. And, and, and some of them hung out for a few hours, and I was, it was really cool to meet them. So um, we'll do more of that stuff in the future. And uh, we have so many hot dogs and stuff left over. If you want hot dogs... We've got hot dogs next door. Please see us. We would love to send some home with you. They're not cooked yet. There's it's still in a box, right? In there, a whole box, and buns and potato chips. I'm being serious. If you want hot dogs today, you want to go home and cook out, go for it. All right. So just tell somebody, and we'll get you some. All right. Well, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna talk about. I I think I say this every time I speak. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. (laughs) Y'all are y'all are a rough crowd, man. A rough crowd, rough crowd. Do you need to sit closer to the fans? Will that help? If you'll open to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 15 and chapter 18. If you'll put a finger in both spots, Proverbs 15 and Proverbs 18. Read a couple of scriptures. And um, I, I think I want to title this today, What is a Culture of Honor? And I've spoken about this topic so many times. And different, different angles, but I want to hit it from somewhere else today or drive into it a little bit further, and um, we're going to have fun. So Proverbs 15, verse 33, <clears throat> it says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. I really like that. How many, how many, know, how many likes to be honored and treated well and respected? Right? We, we use the word respect more than we use, use the word honor in our culture. And if someone disrespects us, it bothers us, right? It hurts us because we want to be treated according to how we value ourselves, right? And when other people don't do that, we're like, man, you're, you're disrespecting me. You're not honoring me. And the Bible says here that humility comes before you receive that honor. And, and the reason I'm tying these scriptures into it is because we talked a few weeks ago Remember, remember the sermon, if you weren't here, you need to listen to it. I'm awesome and it's okay. Remember that sermon? And we use the scripture that, that where Paul says, now don't think more highly of yourself than you're supposed to. But he didn't say that you're not supposed to think highly of yourself. He just said, don't think too highly of yourself. So there's a level of respect that you have for yourself, a level of honor that you can view yourself with that's appropriate. Remember the language is, I can sing really well. That's okay to say that. That's not bragging. We, we like to label it bragging. Oh, you're just bragging. No, I can sing really well. That's okay. This is not okay. I can sing better than those other people. I should be leading worship. Right? So we went through that thing. Why? Because we're teaching, we're wanting to cultivate in our church a culture of honor. And that is such a big, a big um, thing to tackle. Because if you honor people and there's no humility, then there's problems. That's like... You know, I was, I was 19 years old, and I was handed the keys to a youth group <laughs> at 19 years old. This is your youth group. Run with it. When you're 19 years old and someone says, here's your youth group, and then basically you can do anything you want to do, there's some humility that's learned through the process. Let me just tell you, looking back, 
right? It's like, wow, awesome. I got this new car. It's my youth group. I can change the name 50 times. I can do whatever I want to do. It's mine. I can do it my way, finally, right? Then there's some humility that comes before you receive the honor. They didn't call me Pastor Jared at first. <laughs> there comes a humility and a process that comes through it that, that before you know it, you don't have to tell them to call you Pastor. I'm just looking back at my experience. There's a humility that came over. They respected me. There was an honor they gave me because humility comes before honor. If you'll skip over to Proverbs 18, verse 12, and this is just to, just to give us a launching point. Proverbs 18, verse 12, it says the same thing. It says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So we've been talking about a culture of honor, and we want to think of ourselves the way we're supposed to. Not too lowly, not too high of ourselves. We're supposed to think of ourselves the way God wants us to, and that's okay. And so I want to tell you today, a culture of honor is an atmosphere that has to be purposely created. It doesn't happen on, on accident. Please track with me today. This is really important. On, on my, I'm a systems person. So when I think about building a church, I don't think about programs. I don't think about this and that. I think about what kind of culture do I want the church to have? How do I want people to feel when they walk in the door? How do I want the guy who picks up the bounce house to feel when he comes to pick up the bounce house? I don't want him to feel like he's working for us. I want him to feel like we appreciate him and that he's family. And so it was really cool. Matt, Matt was here helping me help. We, 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 we helped him load them up. This guy's arms were massive. They were as big as our legs. So oh, I did that, and it didn't move. And he just says, picks it up. And I'm telling you, this guy was awesome. Right? So Matt's talking to him, just fellowshipping with him, hanging out, chit-chatting. And, and he, he felt at home. I, 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 know, I know that because we've had people install the alarm system, and they said, man, I like how it feels here feels really cool. You have a friendly feel. We've had people come, police people. We have, and because we're wanting to create a culture that tells people you're important. You're not here to serve me because you're here to install the alarm. Do your work. Don't bother me. I'm in my office. We want to make people feel important, make them feel comfortable, right? And so I don't want to just do church and have programs and have, have sermons and have discipleships and messages. I want people to feel the culture of the church. And so a culture of honor has to be created on purpose, you all right? It's a place where people are treated and dealt with according to who they are, according to God. So in a culture of honor, what we do is we treat people the way God sees them. Not according to behavior, not according to the way, the way they treat us, but according to the way God sees them. See, a, a key to this culture of honor is you have to understand, and we've talked about this many times, but God is not dealing with us from our present to our past. He's not taking who you are now and trying to, to, and who you used to be and punishing you to try to make you even today and just get you caught up. God is dealing with you now according to who he sees you are in heaven so that if he deals with that now, he can speak, he sends his word into your life and it's a prophetic thing. When God sends his word to us and he disciplines us, it's because he's creating in us the things needed to become who he sees us in heaven. Do you understand that? So that's why we have to love the word of God, because he's saying, I honor you in heaven like this. This is who I created you to be right now. You're not there yet. So I'm going to send my word into your life and my word will build things inside of you. It will create room. It will build structures. It will create humility. It will build foundations that I can build upon so that as time goes by, you will become who I see you as in heaven. That's how God deals with us. He's not punishing you for who you used to be. He's he doesn't deal with us according to what was behind us. He deals with us according to who we are now in heaven. He works from the end to the beginning, not the other way around. 
we discipline our kids according to their behavior right now, and we're trying to make them just get to be a normal, regular person because, oh, you did this yesterday, you did that, blah, 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 and we try to, right? And the Lord's telling us and challenging us, that's not how I discipline you. I look at who you are. I look at who I created you to be, and I honor you, and I pour things into your life that will make you get on the right path, right? He knows the end from the beginning. See, we can only know to this point what we've been through and what our past is, but there's a place where we can see things that we've never seen before. There's a place we can hear words we've never heard before, right? I just want to demonstrate this. I've told it before. I just want to remind you of it. When David was a little, when a little boy and he was a shepherd and he was out in the field, how many of you ever heard the story? I got I to get some feedback because I know it's hot and it's going to be hard to keep your attention. So help me out today, right? Just give me a nod every now and then. So you've heard the story of David when he's a shepherd boy, right? He's basically just stuck out on the fields by himself. He takes his harp and, and his guitar or whatever he had back then and he's out there playing music to the sheep and saying you like that song and he's writing songs to God all by himself and one day a bear comes out and tries to eat one of his sheep what does what does David do he rips his head off I just love it just tears it apart barehanded he didn't even grab a weapon didn't grab a gun nothing right of course he didn't grab a gun all right and he just tears the bear apart And then another day, a lion comes out and tries the same thing. And what does he do to the lion? Grabs it by its mane and rips his head off. All right? God was not testing David to see if David loved God. God wasn't testing David to see if he was a good shepherd. God was allowing something to happen in his life that would prepare him for who he was about to be. (laughs) The things that you have been through to this point in time, wasn't God testing you to see if you loved him? It wasn't God saying, I'm going to do bad things to see if they'll still follow me. That's twisted. He wasn't testing who you were. He was allowing things to come into your life that would prepare you for who you will be. So here's how the rest of the story goes. He goes and Goliath is talking all bad about his country, speaking bad about America. I'm going to feed all of your soldiers to the birds. Your military is pathetic. They're all hiding. They're hiding in behind the rocks. And David's like, what's going on? Who is this guy? And he's talking bad about their God. You know, your God can't do anything. He's this, that, he's that. And he's just talking trash to him. And David's like, wait a second. I'll fight this guy. I'll do it. And they're all like, shut up, man. Who do you think you are? You're supposed to be out in the fields. What do you know? You've been out with sheep. He's like, I'll tell you what I know. One day, a bear came out, and I tore it apart with my bare hands because he tried to steal one of my sheep. And he says, then later on, a lion came out, and I tore it apart with my bare hands because I was protecting what was valuable to me. He goes, I will do the same thing to this guy. Do you see how his experiences, the things that he went through, prepared him for who God saw him to be? So then after this stuff happens, listen to the songs that the country begins to sing after David kills Goliath. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. They begin to sing songs about David, how powerful he is. All of a sudden, God begins to draw favor from the nation of Israel to his newly appointed king. And for years, David had to run. He was, he was anointed to be king, but he had to run from Saul, who was jealous of him. But all through that time, God was building honor in the people for David. They respected David. And it all came from those days when he was by himself, out on the field, and he learned something about himself. Yeah? 
Most of us interpret the times when God disciplines us or the trials that we go through. <laughs> most of it is most of it. <laughs> excuse me. Most of us interpret it as He's punishing us. The Bible doesn't say that God punishes those He loves. It says He disciplines those He loves. See, punishment is when I make you pay for your behavior. Punishment is when I hurt you for what you did. Discipline is when I create something inside of you where you can manage yourself. Hello? God disciplines us. He builds things in us where we can have self-control, right? And we're going to close this out with some some pretty quick stuff. Because Jesus one time told his disciples, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's like, watch out for those guys. Watch out for their teaching. The reason that he said that was, one of the reasons he said that was because they had the pyramid formation that, w- that we don't teach here. They were on top and everyone else was serving them. We're the religious people. We know the Bible. You don't know the Bible. You got to do what we tell you to do because we're on top of the pyramid. Right? And God says, watch out for these people. They, they wanted punishment instead of mercy for people. Whenever anyone did the slightest thing wrong with the law, they were immediately there to test Jesus. Hey, your law says to do this. What do you want us to do? Right? How many remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? I mean, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. There was no, we think she's sleeping around. I mean, I want to know what these guys were doing in the first place where they caught this woman. And there was a man there, too. It wasn't just a woman caught in the act. Of, there was a man there. So for all you ladies, you get the short end of the stick in the story, right? There was a man there, too. She's caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her and throw her at Jesus' feet. And what do they say? Hey, the law says to kill her with stones. What do you want us to do with her? They're all, like, proud of themselves. Like, yeah, we caught him this time. And the Bible says that he just continued to write in the ground. And, and again, when we get to heaven, I want to see the DVD, and I want to zoom in on what he was writing in the ground. I want to know, what were you writing there? It was so interesting. He might have just been drawing, for all we know, playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know, right? <clears throat> but they're like, the loss is to kill her. The loss is to punish her. What do you want us to do? And they had the rocks. They were ready to fulfill the law. And Jesus says, well, if you don't have any sin, then you can throw the first stone. And that, that would be pretty like, uh... <laughs> They drop the rocks. They walk away. I don't believe Jesus ever even looked up. I believe he was just writing. Ah, go ahead. You got, you got, you, you're, you're sinless? Then go ahead. Throw the first stone. And the Bible says that Jesus looks over at the woman. And he says, woman, where did all your accusers go? Where did those that wanted to punish you, where did they go? Do you hear his language? He didn't side with them. He didn't go, well, they all left. All the people that wanted to hurt you left, but I'm still here and I'm going to punish you. Ah, he, he knows she was caught in adultery, yet he did not one time partner with the spirit that those people had. He said, where did those that wanted to hurt you go? And she goes, well, there's no one, sir. He's like, well, I don't want to punish you either. Does that make any sense to our minds? Like, okay, if you're doing something wrong, you need to get punished. Right? But when Jesus says, I don't punish you either, I don't want to hurt you either, go and don't sin anymore. When he said that to her, he released, he unlocked who she was in heaven. And now she could act out who she was in heaven because he believed in her, because he honored her. This is a culture of honor, right? In John 20, verse 23, it says this. 
If you forgive anyone their sins, then they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they will not be forgiven. That blows my mind. 2 Corinthians 5 says it like this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19. It says, this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled the world to himself in Christ by not counting men's sins against them. And now he has given to us the message of reconciliation. How are people made right with God? By not counting men's sins against them. So when Jesus said, woman, where are those that wanted to hurt you? Well, they're not here. He's like, well, I don't want to count your sins against you anymore. You are now free from that. Go and don't sin anymore. Do you see what honor can do for people? When you treat people according to how God sees them in heaven, instead of how our behavior may dictate, it releases something inside of somebody. Honor creates room for grace. I like to see it like this. In our church, I want honor to be the cup that holds grace in it. I want it to be the, the, the thing, that, the, the, the cup, the glass, the jar, the container that holds grace. Because when we treat people well, it makes room for grace. And grace allows us to become who God says we can be. Let me think that's pretty awesome. I want to close with this story real quick. It's found in Luke chapter 19, and I don't want to read the whole story. It's Luke chapter 19, verses 2 through 10. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. How many of you ever heard of Zacchaeus? He was a what? A wee little man. <laughs> Remember that song? He was more than a wee little man. He was a crook. He was a criminal. He was a weasel. He was a tax collector. He stole money from people. He would tell them he would know their taxes were a quarter and he would charge them a dollar. And no one would know about it. He would just steal and take it, right? And this guy, uh, I, I like how um, a, a, a Graham McDowell, uh, Graham Cook, excuse me, Graham Cook says this. He's like, he wasn't hiding up in the tree because he was so short. He was hiding because he was afraid someone was going to knife him. <laughs> he was scared to death because he had stolen from so many people. So he's up in this tree, and he sees Jesus, and Zacchaeus catches Jesus' eyes. Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, I need to eat at your house today. Do you know how many Pharisees and how many people there would have loved for Jesus to eat at their house? And he looks up at the thief, the person that everyone probably hated the most, and he says, I got to eat at your house today. And I can just imagine what, would, what happened to Zacchaeus in that moment. He knows this is the Messiah. He knows who I am because he's a prophet too. And he asked to come eat at my house. So as Zacchaeus goes and he meets Jesus, do you know what Zacchaeus tells him? He says, hey, Jesus, I want to give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I've stolen from somebody, I want to give them four times what I stole from them. That'd be a lot of money. That guy had to be very rich. Do you hear what happened here? Did Jesus tell him, you better repent of your sins? You better turn or burn, brother. <laughs> Did he tell him, if you don't give all your money back, I'm not coming to your house. I'm going to give you a bad review and tell everybody about your house. Did he say anything to him about his behavior? He treated him with honor. He says, I want to come eat at your house. I want to hang out with you. You're valuable to me. Everyone else is like, that's the worst place to go eat. Jesus is like, that's the place I need to go. You know, last week in the Hall of Fame speech, there was a running back from the Broncos who gave an amazing speech. 
And uh, one of the things he said is, none of us can be anything until the least of us is something. And I was like, wow. <laughs> none of us can be anything until the least of us is something. And that's how Jesus treated people. So he goes, and, and because Jesus honored him and created room, grace poured in, and Zacchaeus created the terms of his repentance. You guys okay? That's what a culture of honor does for people. It says, hey, I want to I close with this. A culture of honor does not excuse behavior. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't excuse wrong things and treating people poorly and all that stuff. So what happens is in a culture of honor, people are, you can confront people. You can say, hey, you're not acting according to who you should be acting like. If you do something that's out of your character, you say, hey, that's not you. That's not who you really are. You're better than that. You're called to, to, to be different than that. That's what a culture of honor does. It stirs up inside of people hope to be the person that they really want to be. Yeah? You guys okay? Y'all are doing so well. I know if I was sitting out there and it was so hot, I would be a... Uh, especially those that were out in the sun all day yesterday. And But I want us to have a, a church that's, that has a culture of honor because I want any person that we come in contact with. I don't want it to just be when we walk into the church pro- property, we come into a service on a Sunday. I want it to be when, when the mailman comes to your house and says, I have a certified letter for you. I want him to say, man, I like how your house feels. I want the refrigerator repairman, hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody, but if they come into your house, I want them to say, man, your house feels good. I want, to, I, want them to, I want you to treat them like, oh, hurry and fix my refrigerator and get out of my house. You stink, right? Instead of treating people like, I have a refrigerator full of drinks. What would you like? I've got Dr. Pepper. I've got Sprite. I've got water. Would you like, would you like a glass of ice water? We just made some cookies. You want some cookies while you work on my fridge? As long as you don't charge me another hour? No. <laughs> just treating people well, honoring people. When a person waits on our table, not treating them like a waiter, but treating them like they're part of the guest part, one of our guests, like they're part of the party eating there. I hate it when I go to a restaurant and I'm with somebody. I'll close my eyes, nobody in the room. And they just bark out orders to the waiter or waitress. I mean, that is their job, right? They're there to wait on us, right? But we can make it really fun for them while they wait on us. We can treat them so well that they don't feel like, like they're our servant and they're coming to our table and... Can I refill your water? Can I get you some more chips? Yeah, yeah. would you please hurry? I'd, you know. And, and we, it's, it's just honor goes into every part of our life. Instead of when our boss gives us something to do, we don't want to do. Yes, sir, I'll do that and I'll do my best. I'll put everything I have into this job, even though you don't want to do it. That's called honor. This, <laughs> tell on myself. I'm learning stuff all the time, just husband-wife relationship, honoring, right? I always, uh, when I go to the grocery store or to Sam's or to Walmart, I put both of my kids in the basket, and they want Daddy to go fast. Go fast, Daddy. Go faster. And so I make the shopping cart my personal skateboard or whatever it is, scooter. And we've been doing this since Josiah was a baby. I mean, this is just our thing. Never had any trouble, never had anything weird happen. And I was at Sam's, Mandy wasn't there, and we're in the parking lot, and I'm going to town. We're, I, I would love to have a radar on how fast we were going. And I hit something, and I lose my balance. And um, basically, when I lose my balance, it causes the cart to tip. And the cart falls on me, falls on Josiah. If you see Josiah limp around, poor kid, his, 
You can tell how fast we were going by the streaks on his legs, right? He was wearing shorts and flip-flops, and, I mean, we busted in the parking lot. I'm jumping up. I'm just gra- – I start crying. I'm like, I'm such a horrible dad. Like, five seconds ago when they were going, yeah, we're going so fast. Yay, daddy. I was the best dad in the world, so I went from the best to the worst like that, man. <laughs> Not to mention my ankles rolled up under this cart. I'm hurt. I can't even look at myself. I don't, I don't know what, what's hurt on me. I'm checking my kids. Matthias – that kid's amazing. He didn't have a scratch on him. I don't know what happened to him, but me and Joe, we bit the dust. All the, it was mostly moms. There was no men around, which I would have felt a lot better if a man came and said, can I help you out? But when all the moms came up, I'm immediately feeling worse. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. They're thinking this stupid dad, right? His wife's not here to watch how he acts. And here he is ripping his kid's leg up in the parking lot. And I feel horrible. And I've got tears running down my face. And I'm just telling Josiah, I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. And he's just screaming. If you've ever been around Joe, he's very dramatic. I don't, I don't know where he gets it from. But he's very, he's really dramatic. And he's just screaming out, crying. And these ladies are running. Are you okay? We, we saw, can we do anything? We want to wash his leg off. Do we have? I'm like, no. Um, we're going to go inside and we're going to, you know, clean up in the restroom. I mean, people came from everywhere, and I was like, stop. <laughs> so I didn't want to tell Mandy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to have to because her son's going to come home mangled, right? <laughs> At some point, I have to tell her. I didn't want to tell her because I know how she's going to feel. Mama's going to be like, I wasn't there to protect my kids. So what would you do to my boys, right? And um, I just had to tell how sweet Josiah is before I, I tell what I was getting to. I'm like, Josiah, I'm so sorry. Daddy's supposed to be here to protect you, not make you hurt. And he's like, Daddy, it was okay. It was an accident. It, we do it all the time. It was fun, Dad. He's like, but let's not do it. Let's not do it anymore. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. And I was like, Bubba, I wish I had all the cuts on me and you didn't have any. He's like, no, Dad. I wish neither one of us had any cuts. So that's how my boy is. I mean, he's so sweet. And so I'm telling, I send Mandy a text, and I can, you normally can't tell mood or tone from a text, but I could tell from this text, she was concerned and not very happy, probably. So we get in the car, and, I, and I'm telling her about it, and, and uh, she's like, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm like, yeah, we got to jump back on it, right, guys, men? You got to jump back on the horse. You got to get back on. You can't, you can't let that stop you from our fun. We've had five years of, of fun can't stop now. I'm like, no, we, if, if we stop now, he'll always be scared. Like, she's like, it's not the same in this situation. I'm like, whatever, man. Next time we go to Walmart, I'm getting in that cart. And she's sitting over there dead quiet. We're re- going down 360. And I'm like, she's really quiet. Either she's tired or she's getting mad at me. <laughs> it's one or the other. And finally, I think she speaks up and she's like, I'm asking you not to do it. I don't remember the exact words, but I do remember the, the message. <laughs> like today, you may not remember all the words. I hope you remember the message, right? And she was like, I think you don't need to do it again. And something in me said, honor her. I mean, absolutely. And the, the man in me wanted to say, no way. You're not going to tell me not to have fun with my boys, right? And I was like, all right, I won't do it anymore. And now the test will come when we get to Sam's next time. <laughs> will I honor my wife? And will I do it when she's not there? See, honor happens when people are present when they're not present. 
And the Lord's just calling us as a church to honor, honor our kids. Kids deserve honor. We don't treat them like, oh, you're such a waste of my time. Man, life would be so much better if you kids would just be quiet. You know how we, honesty, right, parents? Like, oh, God, I just want 10 minutes of silence. You kids are driving me crazy, right? You know what that says to the kid? You're not valuable. What I want to do right now, even though I may, maybe I deserve an hour to myself. God, parents, you deserve time to yourself. That's true. But when we say it like that to our kids, we're saying you're not valuable. My watching TV right now is more important. Me hearing what Josh Lewin says about, you know, Hank Blaylock, or not Hank Blaylock, he's not even here anymore. Hambo, Josh Hamilton. It's more important than you, Josiah, right now. Honor goes into so many areas of our life. It's not just here in church. It's not just for Christian people. It's not just people that treat us well. See, honor is really measured when we treat people well that don't deserve it. And honor is measured in how we treat people that we can gain nothing from. If we're working a deal, man, we can treat people well, right? Like, I know if I treat them well and, 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 and talk to them really nice right now, then later on they're going to do something for me, right? We can honor people then. But honor is how do we treat people that we will not get anything back from them? If we love a person on the street that doesn't even say thank you. How many of you ever helped somebody out, gave them a ride, done something for them, they didn't even say thank you? <laughs> I wasted my gas, drove all across town in this hot car for you, and you didn't even say thank you. Honor is doing it without expecting a thank you. Holding the door at the store, and you know 15 people are going to rush in, and 14 of them won't say thank you. Doing it not for the thank you, but to honor people. That's a culture of honor. God honored us by sending his son. Yep. You ready, Matt? Matt's going to close this out for us. You can stop hearing my voice. <laughs> That's also one of my favorite things to hear you speak on, just so you know. <laughs> this is a culture of honor. Um, this is one of our cornerstones in our church is, is the way we treat people, the way we treat each other, the way we treat new people coming in. Uh, the way we treat people we've known for years, and it's extremely important. It's it's how we represent Christ. So uh, take it to heart, you know. Take it to heart, and I love I love the way he the examples he used to to apply it to the rest of your life, to, to your family life, your work life, uh, your out on the town life, you know. Um, the only thing I wanted to add is that, you know, we're not perfect people. Inevitably, we're going to treat somebody bad at some point, right? And that's where the humility comes in. You know, recognize, you know what, I've, I, was a, I was a jerk. And then having the, the gumption to apologize to that person and tell them, listen, I, I know I was a jerk. I'm sorry. I have to do that to Belinda all the time. <laughs> the other night, we we're coming home, and she's like, man, you, you, are you done being mean to me? I'm like, I haven't been mean to you. And then she rattled off like four things I had said through the night. I'm like, oh, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, Belinda, I'm sorry for all the times I have dishonored you. So, And so just keep that in mind. If you catch yourself not honoring somebody, don't be afraid to just go and tell them, hey, I'm sorry. They're, they're not going to rip on you, you know. And if they do, then punch them in the mouth. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> Somebody's back there like, yes. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's finish up. Um, if you want a renewal in your relationship with Jesus, if you need a new refreshing, a fresh renewal, those are the words that came to me last time. I'm like, I like those words. A new refreshing, a fresh renewal. Then I just want you to stand right now. You just need a recharging in him. And maybe you already got it this morning, but we want to make sure we, we minister to everybody. So let's just have a moment to stand up if you need that. All right. Just uh, put your hand next to your neighbor. <laughs> Michelle's like, And let's all pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you can repeat after me. or I like doing the repeat after me thing. Lord Jesus Christ, you're my king. You're my savior. Your blood has saved me. I want our relationship to be brand new again. Fill me with the passion I had. Fill me with the fire I had so that I can honor you every minute of every day. Let my breath always be filled with your words. Let my mind always be filled with your thoughts. God, I want to give my life to your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment, talk to your neighbor, make sure they don't need anything, and then we can go ahead and be dismissed. Jared has something. Sorry, Rook. On the, on the table or right here, we need you to fill out a database form. If you've already done one.